0: The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all will die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all domination, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For if he has everything under his feet, now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ, When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not, know, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives us a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. There are also heavenly bodies. And there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind. And the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon another. And the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Thank you. (laughs)
1: I know that was a long reading, and I'm sure much of it has gone over the top of your head. But as I share it with you, hopefully some of that will come back to your mind. Did you know that the Gospels do not speak about the resurrection? Mark does not even include a description of the risen Jesus. Just that the tomb is empty, and it's left for the reader To understand why. The other gospels depict the risen Jesus. But not the event itself. The tomb is empty when the disciples arrive. The resurrection has already happened. You could say in secret. It has happened. And the disciples are faced with a decision whether to believe or not. Our closest explanation comes in that passage that Linda's kindly read for us, where Paul explains the meaning of the resurrection by not explaining it. He points to the mystery of the seed and the tree to something that we can see and relate to. In this passage, it appears that Corinthian Christians are struggling with believing an actual resurrection of the body. It is possible that some of the teaching was of the the resurrection is spiritually only. Or that the teaching Jesus spoke of had already occurred in the new birth, having been raised from the dead. Both are possible. And it's known that the teaching was popular in parts of the Mediterranean world during the second half of the first century and the second. And perhaps that is why the early church fathers had to speak against that point of view and why it found itself into the Apostles' Creed. And you can sense that Paul is having none of it either. In verse 12 he says, Now if Christ is preached... That he has been raised from the dead. How do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also in vain. Amen. Let's pray a moment. Lord, open our eyes to understand the truth of your word. As Paul sets before us today a stirring defense of an explanation of the resurrection of the body to glory of those who believe in Christ, we pray that those who now believe will be strengthened in the hope, and that those who do not believe will be drawn to faith in Christ, that they might become sharers in this glorious hope. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. it Alpha, Christianity Explored, or any other faith-based searching and explaining course, two of the most common questions are about death and hope. So as we look at this passage, and as we consider the meaning of the creed, when we confess as believers, I believe in the resurrection of the body. But I wonder though, how do you view death? Do you hold a Christian view of death? And what about hope? What is your hope? What comes after this life? This creed clearly tells us what Christians believe happens after life. And it stresses the physicality of of that afterlife. But we need to understand first what the Bible teaches about death. Death is life's one certainty. And our Bibles tell us it is the penalty of sin. God never intended us to die. But I'll come to that in a few moments' time. Death, along with religion and politics, are taboo subjects. There are those who don't talk about death because they fear it. And they have no hope beyond the grave. Others spiritualize it in a New Age style of entering a portal into another dimension. There was a great theologian, whose name I forget at the moment, who said that dying is part of living. Oh yes, it was that theologian, Forrest Gump. As I said, dying was never part of God's plan for living. It was not part of the original creation and became so with the fall, the time in the garden of eating the forbidden fruit. In Romans 6.23, we read the words, the wages of sin is death. And what Paul is saying here is that Death is the consequence of the entrance of sin into the world. Dying isn't part of living. It's part of the fall. And because dying is a part of the fall, the Bible refused to settle for a sugar-coated view of death. In verse 19, Paul makes a stark statement. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ... We are, of all people, most to be pitied. pitied. But we must take it in the context that Paul is saying it. He says that if the truth that I am preaching does not deal with the reality of death, don't look at me as a prophet of morality, but pity me as the most miserable of men. He continues adding that Christianity cannot deal with the issue of death. Sorry, that if Christianity cannot deal with the issue of death, And if Christianity has no hope on the other side of death, if there's no victory over death in the gospel he preaches, then Christianity is a miserable failure. There are people, and even some Christians, who say, what happens after life isn't important. It's how you live this life today. Well, this is far from what Paul is saying here. Yes, living a godly life is important. But our hope is beyond this life. And Paul continues with that hope. Saying, I am preaching. If I'm only preaching for this life, then pity me and anyone else who is a Christian. You see, if death is final, then nothing other than self-indulgence is worthwhile. A little later in 32, Paul says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow I die. But Paul doesn't take this stance. I've even heard people say, and I include Christians, look, if Christians turn out to be wrong, and there isn't a resurrection, and there isn't a heaven, and there isn't a future, embodied in the spirit, experience of God forever and ever, you really haven't lost that much you're a much nicer person. You've made the world a better place. You've led people into a lot of moral truth. It's a pretty good life, really. And the Apostle Paul says, rubbish. But I think he used a stronger word than that. Paul tells the Corinthians to be assured that the solution to death is found in Jesus Christ. For God made flesh, and came into our history, into our world, to take upon him the sins of us. He died in our place, was buried and raised from the dead, so that all who trust in him share in his resurrection. Verses 33 and 42 to 44, Paul tells us of this mystery, that not all are going to sleep. Not all will die. But some of us will be alive when the Lord comes. But all of us are going to be changed. He says, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they have? So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Paul says it is in the hope of everyone who hopes in Jesus Christ crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended and reigning on the right hand of God, that everyone who trusts in him, who was raised, will be raised in your body. It is part of the Christian hope. Not just for for some future disembodied state where we float in an ethereal space, but to be embodied again soul and body united in the praise and service of our redeemer except paul says is going to be like going from a mini to an aston martin that's my translation this body is falling apart this body that bears the marks of the fallen world the bodies of our loved ones as we look and see the imprints of the fallen world upon them in disease, in physical breakdown, illness, Paul says the glory of the promise of God in the resurrection of the body. Is that, that Alzheimer's patient that you've been taking care of? Your father, your mother? There's going to be a day when in Christ all who trust in him and have been enravaged by that horrible, horrible disease, the long goodbye, they call it, will be changed and transformed. And you're not only going to see them compos but you're going to see them in a glory that you've never seen in their physical body. And that Down syndrome child that you love with all your heart, you're going to see him You're going to see her with physical powers that you've never ever seen manifested in this life. And that child who died age four. And you never had the opportunity opportunity to see that young man or woman grow in grace and strength. You're going to see him. You're going to see her in the full flower and power of manhood and womanhood. And those cancer victims. And those who have been crippled, maybe even paraplegics for years, you are going to see those bodies transformed. And those who have been harassed by psychological and hormonal and emotional imbalances, you're going to see them transformed. Because Jesus doesn't want your soul just to be transformed. He wants all of you to be transformed. So that in your whole person, you will be with him and be able to praise him forever and ever if you trust in him. During the week, I watched a video clip. It's a true story of a family in America who were just leaving church on the way home. The next minute, the wife woke up in hospital. Their car had been their words, T-boned by an ambulance of all things. She survived, her husband and six-year-old son. Well, the husband died and the son died three times, but came back to life. On each occasion, the son went to heaven. On one of the occasions, he met up with family That he didn't even know existed. When he regained consciousness, his mother said to him, Do you know where your father is? And he said, Yes, I saw him in heaven. He also said, I saw two of my other siblings. I don't know if that was the word he used, but that's the word I'm using. And his mother was confused. And then she remembered that she had had two miscarriages. Now, I know this isn't scriptural but I wouldn't put it past our God that if people had lost children through miscarriage or whatever termination I believe that you will see them in heaven you see that's the hope that's before us not a disembodied mortal soul but soul and body united serving Christ forever forever Paul says, every believer will at the final resurrection be raised or changed in glory. But There's something interesting if you were to turn to the book of Revelation. I'm not asking you to do that now. It says there that Jesus' body still will bear the marks of his death. Rutherford wrote the hymn. The sands of time are sinking. And it says, I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he gifteth, but on his pierced hand. Think about it. In glory your bodies, the bodies of your loved ones in Christ, perfect. They will be perfect the body of your Saviour, still bearing in it the marks of his death to remind us all through eternity of the purchase price of your glorified body and the depths of his love.